If you do not have a Bible, raise your hand and Joe will get you a Bible. For the rest of us, let us turn to Romans 8. If last week was your first week here, uh, you realized that the message I'm preaching today was something that I had prepared for last week, and the Lord changed the course of that. I hope you were blessed by the team that was here last week and, uh, and just the Spirit of God in this place and how He's moving. We're going to read from Romans 8, the first four verses. Anybody else? Raise your hand. If you do not have a Bible, that one is yours to keep, a gift from us. Nothing greater than the Word of God, and uh, we believe that. Somebody once said this to me, and I believe it's true. Sin will keep you from the Word of God, and the Word of God will keep you from sin. And that is true. Because the word is more than just um, words on a page. It is a person. Jesus Christ is the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So when you pick up this book, you're picking up a relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. You know why there's such a war against you reading this? Because the evil one does not want you in relationship with your creator through Jesus Christ. And so, are you ready? I'm going to be reading from the uh, New Living Translation. So many of you might have the NIV. It might be just a little different, but follow along. Uh, the spirit of it is the same. And, uh, and so it's good that we hear multiple translations. So we see that, because there's a lie out there, right? There's a lie out there that says, well, there's so many translations. How do you know which one to believe? You can believe them all, because they're all the same spirit, all written by the Spirit of God so that our hearts can be ministered to. Um, and so I believe that with all my heart. So as we read, will you stand with me in honor of God's Word? Romans 8, 1 through 4. We together? We together? All right. It says this, So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This is a huge passage. In fact, 
the word of God, the, the, the commentators have said this. Besides John 3.16, this is probably the most potent and the most powerful verse. There is therefore now no condemnation unto those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's said in, in, um, in, in the King James Version, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, listen, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. What's so important about this verse? Why is it here at this point? Paul has been building something from chapter 1. He, he's been showing us a picture. He's, he's been building the gospel, truth, but also alongside, he has been building the reality of the condemnation of our sin. So that why? Because he wants us to be destroyed? No, because he wants us to see the contrast between the two. He wants us to see the reality of the contrast. Let, just listen briefly to just the building of it. So in, in Romans 1, the fourth verse, it says that, that uh, through uh, Jesus, the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. This is, so he's building this concept of the, of the Holy Spirit from the first chapter. The second chapter says, the 29th verse, it says, no, a person is a Jew uh, who is one inwardly, he's not a Jew who is one inwardly, but outwardly. It is the circumcision of the heart by the Spirit that makes a Jew a true Jew. In Romans 5, 5, it says that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so, and so a believer's life moved by the Holy Spirit is a life of love. And then Romans uh, 7, 6 says that as he's building this whole idea of the Spirit that, um, that it is, um, it is we've been re uh, released from the law so that we now serve a new way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written code. And so Paul is painting this picture of us, of the Holy Spirit and the movement of the Spirit from one, the power of our resurrection, the circumcision of our heart, the love that God's been pouring out, and, and it is the new way of the Spirit. And so this is, um, uh, this is coming to this place is an amazing moment, not just because of Paul building uh, the, to the Spirit, but also because he has been, like I said, contrasting the two. So in, in chapter 1, he talks about that, that, the, um, that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power unto, um, of God unto everyone who believes. But in that same chapter, he says that God is showing his wrath against everyone who suppresses that truth by their wickedness. So we get, in, in, in then chapter 2, he says, you've got to realize that it is God's kindness that leads you to repentance. And then in chapter 2, it says that um, no one can be made right with God by doing what the law uh, commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And so God's heart wants us to repent. God's law shows us that we're unable to do that without him. Chapter 3 says to the Jews, yes, there's a benefit. There's a benefit to being Jew because you were entrusted with the gospel. You have the counsel, the revelation of God. 
And yet, in the, in the 20th chapter, it says no one um, can be made right uh, with God by doing that. Um, and so, chapter 4 says, clearly, uh, in the 13th verse, says, clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on obedience of God's law, but on the promise and the fact that a right relationship comes by faith. And then he says in that fourth chapter, for the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Isn't that true? Yeah. It's, it's great. Chapter 5 says that since we therefore have been made right with God and been brought to peace with God because of Jesus Christ, his atonement, we have this hope now. And yet, when Adam sinned, in verse 12 it says, sin entered the world and Adam's sin brought death. So death spreads to everyone. So you see how he's contrasting, right? And, and you guys, are you getting this? You live in that reality? You live in the reality that you see your death, the death of your sin. You see where your, where your um, natural self is bringing you. And do you have the hope that there is a hope beyond that in the gospel? And that's in chapter 6, he basically is putting together a pattern saying, you know what, this is the way it happens. You die to yourself, and you arise in Christ. It's not about, it's not about Mary getting better as a person. It's about the fact that Mary dies to Mary and arises in Jesus Christ. And how do I know that? When we no longer allow our body to be used for unrighteousness. We no longer become an instrument of unrighteousness, but of righteousness. That reality is Mary lives that out in the power of Jesus Christ. And, and then Paul goes, but you know what? I'm in this reality in chapter 7. You know, the good that I want to do, I don't do. But the evil that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And if I do what I do not want to do, then it's no longer I that does it, but it's sin that lives within me. Right? Anybody understand what he's talking about there? I, I do. I do. But then, but then he ends that chapter, and that's the, that is the uh, transitional verse to where Romans 8, 1 comes in. Because he says, what does he say? Somebody tell me. What does he say when he gets to the end of chapter 7? What does he say? Yeah, but he first says, what a wretched man I am. That's important. You, what, what, what God is trying to say to us is that you got to get to the end of yourself. It's not about you. What a wretched man I am. Now, this is the man who wrote most of the New Testament, and he called himself a wretched man. And, and yet then, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. So there's your transitional into there is now there, therefore no condemnation unto those who are in Christ Jesus. This verse um, is unparalleled in my life. Um, I, this was a verse that a man gave to me at a time that I was at my lowest point. And he said, I'm going to, and he, he lived it out in front of me. He lived it out. And, and built me up with no condemnation, but with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it, it, has, it has changed and rocked my life. And so, and so as we look at this verse, and I'm really going to focus on this one today mostly, 
it says that uh, there is now. There is now. That What that means is that something has changed in history. Something has changed at this moment that he could say there, okay, now I've gone through all this. You see your sinful self. You see the gospel. And I'm telling you, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. Now, what's the difference? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. Listen, I get the fact that that some of us are going through and have gone through some very difficult things and that those things beg to destroy you. I get that. I get that with all my heart. But I am telling you, they can't. No matter where you're at, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what situation you're in right now, that seems the most impossible thing And you're just like, I don't know where I can go from. I am telling you, in this moment, they can't destroy you if you'll trust in Jesus Christ. They can't destroy you. Hebrews 10 says this, for the 14th verse, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Yeah. Yeah. In Jesus Christ, that's your future. You got to understand, the meaning of perfect is complete. Your being in Christ, you're being made complete. No matter where you've been in the past, you're being made complete. In 1 John 2, 2, it says that he, Jesus Christ, in the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world, Now, the reality does not become true for the whole world if they don't trust in Jesus, but he died for the whole world. The moment you you receive that by faith, the moment you accept that truth in your heart, it's true for you. Ephesians 1.11 says, Because we're united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For those he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he purchased for us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Now, this has happened now. It's true for us right now. But let's talk about that word condemnation. I think it's interesting that Paul brought it in here. Condemnation is defined to be declared to be guilty of wrongdoing, convicted to doom, to declare unfit for use or service. It declares that the penalty demands a verdict of destruction. Now, why is this important? Why is this important? Because even as religious people, we have a tendency of trusting in ourselves more than in the Spirit of God. We have a tendency of depending on, well, this is the construct that I have built around my life, and I'm going to stay in this. And, um, and that then becomes more important than being moved by the Spirit of God. There's a verse uh, in, in the Beatitudes that says that blessed is the poor in spirit, 
for they shall see the kingdom of God. Amen? Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Does that mean that I sit in constant condemning of myself? No, not at all. Being poor in spirit means I've come to the end of myself. I no longer put my trust in my intellect, in my ability to discern, in my way. I trust completely in the Spirit of God. I trust completely in what Jesus did on the cross for me. That is what Paul is building toward here. He wants us to put our complete trust in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because some of us in this room, many of us, are in impossible situations that we cannot intellectually say, I know a way out of this. I know a way out of this. I met with a guy this week, and uh, um, he was in my youth group. He's 50 years old. I started when I was three and a half in youth work. I cannot believe that this guy is 50 years old. I met with him, and uh, um, he is a mountain of a guy. He used to carry me around on his shoulder in youth group. Just a mountain of a guy. Well, guess what? He has a, de a degenerative uh, disease that is against the um, soft tissue of his flesh. And, uh, and all of his joints, he can pop them out without even thinking about it. He is losing his strength. He can no longer do his job. He can no longer perform. And uh, we're sitting there, and he's telling me about this. And he's just going, you know, I'm just wondering what my life is anymore about. And he says, you know, I mean, I, I, I was the big guy around the you know, construction. I could, I could lift more two-by-fours than anybody else. I could do the job done quicker. I could do it. Now, he says, I can't do it. He said, I'm, I, I, I don't have a job right now. I said to him, I said, listen, I said, you're, in the, you're at a crossroads of your life right now. Crossroads. I said, your body's failing you. What else do you have left? I said, but this could be your greatest moment because of this reason. It is in my weakness that his strength is made known. And I said, don't, don't give in to the condemnation of this moment. Don't give in to what's happening in your brain, what you logically hold together as, that. well, this has got to be it. I said, let the Spirit of God lead you. I said, you could have your greatest days ahead of you if you'll trust him. And so, but this condemnation is a tough place to be. Amen? Anybody know what I'm talking about? When I'm talking about condemnation, where in your own mind you, you are destroying yourself or there's other reasons. We'll get into that. But, but condemnation is a huge thing. Um, the Old Testament gives us a picture of this. In, um, and if you want to read it later, uh, do that. I've got it here. Zechariah 3, 1 through 2 says this. It says, Then the angel showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser Satan was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Joshua. Now one thing I never noticed when I saw that passage was that he was at the right hand of the angel of the Lord. What does the right hand represent? Authority, yes, authority. The accuser, because of sin, has the authority to speak and to accuse us of our sin. 
Now think about that. Think about that for a moment. Yeah, he does. He's not wrong in what he's saying. Is he? Is he wrong? He's not wrong. When he said and accused me, and accuses me at times, he's not wrong. Anybody here perfect? Anybody here got it all together? You know that he's making, he, he has been making a record of each one of our lives of the things that we have done. Yes, he has. And he's not wrong in saying it. I'm going to leave it there. I know that's a dangerous place to leave it, but it's true. You've got to think about that. And the thing is, this, listen to me. I know this about some of us in this room. This week, some of us have had condemning thoughts. Some of us have had thoughts in our minds of failure, of worthlessness, of weakness, of our life going nowhere, and of hopelessness. It's true? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So where do they come from? I, I first want to, before I, before I go on with that, uh, that verse, I want to I talk to you. This is where it comes from. Listen to me. Don't look away. Don't sleep. Don't, don't listen to me. First, it comes from the voice of our past. Remembering our failures. Those are things that come back and accuse us. Um, this is a true statement. A lot of people move forward in sin because of their memory of their past. It's so true. It's a, that's a, where a lot of sin comes from is the fact that there is an accusing voice within our own heart that continues to speak at us and say, remember when you did that? Remember when you did that? You're nothing. You are worthless. You are, am I speaking to y'all? Yeah. Okay, second thing. Some come from voices of people who, who believe that we should be destroyed. There are people that want to see you destroyed. Now, I want to make a very clear and crisp distinction here. I have learned as a pastor that when people criticize you at times, you've got to listen to the spirit of the criticism because there are, some are your best friend. They're saying things to you that need to be said to you. Okay? I get that. I get that. And I don't discount that. But you have to listen to the spirit. A spirit of condemnation will always always speak to you out of the desire for you to be destroyed. A critic who loves you is somebody who is building you up with things that they, are very, that they care about you about. Listen to that, because especially in our, in our day and age, people are so worried about the offense, they don't listen to the spirit of what's being said. And I'm telling you, you will grow with somebody who loves you enough to tell you the truth. You will. So that's the second one. Um, but, I, and I want to say something too. Um, if you're on TikTok, get off it. <laughs> I, I, I just, right? I mean, didn't you just hear recently about a 13-year-old young man who took up a uh, ibuprofen challenge and took three times the amount of ibuprofen because um, he would be able to hallucinate and get off into a world where he could just like, oh, whatever, he died. He died. It's ridiculous. Social media has been such a condemning voice that you hold in your hand and carry with you everywhere you go. Stop it. 
Stop it. And then like in, so that's the second one, um, voices from our past, voices coming from people, even on social media. And third, obviously, the accuser, like in Zechariah, the evil one is accusing. The fourth one to me is, is something that is so important. Some come from our own hearts. There is no condemnation that is greater than self-condemnation. Nothing. In fact, I think that's why Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life. What's going on inside your heart? We do really live out what we believe. Now, I think there's an important point here. One is that you need to understand exactly what the Spirit of, of God is talking about when it says, do not judge. Because, obviously, judgment is correct in this world. If we didn't have judgment, we wouldn't have courts, we wouldn't have traffic lights, we wouldn't have, I mean, there's all kinds of things. And, and, and again, going back to the critic who loves you, that judgment over you is a good thing because it's for your, for your good and not for your destruction. But the goal of true judgment is never condemnation. The, troll, the, the goal of true judgment is always to, to build you up. But if it is to ruin you, it is a judgment that comes from the evil one and you are working for the enemy and not for God. And so, therefore, there is now. Today is a new day. And it can be a new day for somebody in this room if they'll receive Jesus Christ's law. There is now and we talked about condemnation, what it means, where it comes from. But the word that I want you to focus on uh, also is no. No. No is an empathetic negative adverb that points to the reality that a life changed by the gospel will never experience spiritual condemnation again. There is no, no condemnation. 1 Thessalonians um, 1.10 says, Jesus who has rescued us from the coming wrath. The greatest condemnation, listen, isn't what others think of you. It isn't even what you think of yourself. It's what God thinks of you. His wrath is the result of his heart and love to all, uh, to all creation. And his heart will always condemn sin that is trying to destroy his creation. His condemnation is not against you. It's against the sin that lives inside of you. And his desire is that, is that, that, that you turn from that sin and turn to him. And he condemns the sin through his law so that you can see it, but not be destroyed by it, but actually see your great need of him and see that he is the one, is the only one. I've had somebody say to me that I have been appointed to go to hell. And the Bible says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The heart of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has permanently and completely paid the debt for your and my sin. He's paid the penalty 
the condemnation. He took the shame. He took everything on himself so that you could be released of it. Now listen, this is a freeing statement here. The greatest, so we're not condemned for eternity. But the gospel says this. It happened not based on any form of perfection achieved by the believer, nor total eradication of sin during the the believer's life. It's not on you. It's not based on you. It's based on him. For years, I tried to, to get rid of my sin. I did everything that I could. I drove different ways. I did different things. I tried to do everything. And I continued to come back to it, continued to come back to it, continued to come back to it. And I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, I, I, I just, I, 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 anybody know what I'm talking about? I can't seem to stop. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And what I heard the Lord say, give it to me. Surrender it to me. Bow before me. Let me take it, because I've already overcome it. Now listen to me. No, listen to me. Guess who is the most surprised person in the world when you see your life overcoming sin? It's you. You're the most surprised person. Why is that? Because you're realizing Becoming poor in spirit. Surrendered completely to the Lord. He's true to his word. And he is your overcomer. People of God, it is the most freeing and most beautiful thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. It's not about Wayne. It's about Jesus. And there's freedom in that. So let's wrap this time up. I want to get to the final phrase. It says, There is now, now therefore no condemnation unto those who are what? In Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. In Christ Jesus, Paul is just saying that to us. So, so when I go back to Zechariah, I want to answer a question. Can I see Jesus there? Can I see Jesus in Zechariah? So let me go on. In verse 2, it says this, And the Lord said to Satan, listen to this, And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations. Satan, yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, put your name in there, rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Now, how could God say that? Because remember, we have to remember, God is a just God. And so it's just for him in our sin to judge us. It's just. I mean, nobody would think a thing of a judge who if, um, uh, if Alex was standing before a judge because he killed somebody from work. Okay? I, I don't know why you did that, Alex, but that, I mean, that's terrible. But if Alex stood before a judge and he killed a coworker, and the judge would look at him and say, Alex, I, I get it. You had a bad day. You know, I'm really sorry. Um, you know, I'm going to let you off because, um, because, you know, it just was a bad day. Everybody would say that's an unjust judge. Alex needs to pay for the penalty that he, that he did in killing somebody. And yet, this is what the Lord is saying. Why can he say this? 
In verse 8 through 9 says this, Listen to me, O Joshua, the high priest, and all you other priests. You are symbols of things to come. Don't forget that. You're symbols of things to come. Something's coming. Soon I'm going to bring my servant the branch. Look now at the jewel I have set before Joshua, a single stone with seven facets or seven eyes. I will engrave an inscription on it saying, the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. What in the world is he saying? First of all, you notice the word, I will bring my servant. Philippians 2 says this, that Jesus, who did not... um, See, equality with God is something to be grasped, but he made himself a servant. That's right. Our God made himself a a servant. That's why he's going to bring my servant. The branch, in in John 15, it says that that I I am the vine, you are the branches. But for a short time, Jesus became the branches with us. He became a branch. That's crazy. The vine became a branch for us. That's why he says, I will bring uh, 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 um, uh, the branch. And then he says that, look, I have the jewel I have set before Judah, a single stone. Jesus is called what? The rock. The rock of our salvation. A single stone with seven eyes. Why? Listen to me. This is so important. Because he's going into it fully seeing all things. He's not going into it um, with his eyes closed. He knows your sin. He knows my sin. We have said that, um, going, we, you know, that going into something with our eyes wide open is a great thing. That's what God did. He went in with his, wide, his eyes wide open. It says that, um, yeah, the cornerstone, engraving, um, engraving. Do you know that the name king of the Jews was on his cross? Our king. It was engraved by man. It's engraved by God. He is our king, king of kings and lord of lords. And then finally, that on a single day, he will take away the sins of the people. Jesus was crucified, and in one day, he, was, he died, and he was taken down and put in a grave. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. All prophetically looking forward to the day that you and I get to look back at. Now, I know that there are those in this room that are looking at me and say, yeah, but Wayne, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what's going on in my life right now. What you're saying is nice and for decent people. But you don't know me. You know what? You're right. There are many of you that I don't know. Can God forgive you? Can God forgive you? Can this be true for you today? I say yes, it can. There was a story about a, a young man in, in, in the Old Testament in the uh, second chapter of, or the second book of Kings, the 21st chapter, and 2 Chronicles 33. It's the story of a man by the name of Manasseh. 
And Manasseh was the son of King Hezekiah, who was, uh, besides David, probably one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. He started this kingship at 12 years old. He ruled for 55 years. And during that time, the Bible says that what he did in the eyes of the Lord was total evil. Let me give you a list. He rebuilt the pagan shrines that his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He bowed before, uh, occultically, the powers of heaven and worshipped them. He built pagan altars in the temple of God. He practiced sorcery and divination, and he consulted with mediums and psychics. He aborted his own children by sacrificing them to to the gods. He murdered many innocent people. It says in the Bible that until Jerusalem was filled with blood from one end to the other. Now, my point is this. You're evil. Does it compare to Manasseh's? Maybe some of you have done some of the same things he's done. But I am telling you, this human being was total evil. Total evil. Can God save him? I want, I, I'm, I'm hoping you'll, you'll go with me to um, 2 Chronicles 33. It's the Old Testament. If you don't know where it is, um, look it up in the front of the Bible and it'll bring it to you. But 2 Chronicles 33. It is, the, it is the story of, um, of what, um, of kind of the result of this. It is uh, 2 Chronicles 33, and we're going to start with the 10th verse. 2 Chronicles 33, starting with the 10th verse. Are you there with me? Give you just a minute. So remember now the story. Remember what he has in his past. I, I want, as I read this, I want you to think about this. What are the condemning voices that are speaking to him? His own heart. The accuser. Probably people in Israel are going, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing in the temple? Accusations. Voices. Here it is. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they ignored all his warnings. Ignored all his warnings, right? Does God ever give up on us? Absolutely not. So the Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies, and they took Manasseh prisoner. They put a ring through his nose, bound him in in bronze chains, and led him away to Babylon. It's a very, very important theology that I think is, is important. Does God ever allow hardship and difficulties in our lives? He does. Why? He wants to refine us. He wants to prune us. He wants to, right? He wants, he, but the biggest thing is he wants to be in relationship with us and he wants to draw us back to him, right? He wants our hearts to be fully in with him. Now, I'm not going to say he does every single one of them, but I know that one of the things that I've heard so many times is people accuse God of this and that it's just there to destroy their life. It's not true at all. Look at the next verse. And I love this. You know, if you ever, when you see the word but in the Bible, 
just really ask yourself, okay, what, 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 what's that but doing there? There's a reason. But while in deep distress, I don't want you to raise your hand. Is there somebody in this room today that has deep distress? Just think about it. Are you? Are you in deep distress? But while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord his God and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request so that the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone is God. Amen! So Manasseh, doing all this evil. His life is, is seemingly condemned. God speaks to him. He's been speaking to some of us in this room. He's been saying, you know where you're at. Turn from your ways. They did not listen to him, and so then he puts him in, puts him in as a prisoner. And in the midst of it, his heart was softened. This is so important. Somebody said in here, and I'll say it uh, as long as I live, the biggest powerful movement of the heart of a human being is humility. It's your superpower. It's your superpower. It's your pride that's keeping you from God. But it's your superpower if you'll humble yourself. He humbled himself. He humbled himself, and he sought the Lord his God And when he prayed, God listened. How's your prayer life going? I got a call from a friend this morning. Their church has taken up the mantle of praying before service, something we've been doing for a long time. Last week, they had 150 people in there praying because they believe that it's going to be prayer that's going to change the church. We believe the same thing either by not or by, getting, by being engaged in it. We show what we believe. I believe that prayer can change anything. Because it's, what is prayer? Prayer is, is the heart of God connecting with the heart of a human being in relationship with each other. And the human being comes in alignment with the will of God. And God does a work. And you get to see it. So prayer is. And so, not only... Did he hear his prayer? But God sanctified him. He moved Manasseh's life. And he realized that God is the Lord alone. He sanctified his life. And he restored him. Brought him back to Jerusalem and gave him his kingdom back. You may not have done what Manasseh has done in his life. But that does not mean that you today, even in this moment, is not experiencing some condemnation within your heart. If you are today, I am telling you, if the Lord has said, if this Lord has said to you, listen, the condemnation is there because you have a constant sin in your life, turn from the sin. Repent, and in a day, in a moment, it's changed. You know, some of you may be saved, and yet you feel that condemnation. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Today you can have that freedom. Today you can. And maybe some of you realize that you have been a part of condemning others. Hear Jesus say these words. So now I'm giving you a new command. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. You, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. There is therefore no, no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. Freedom from the law, freedom from your heart, freedom from what other people think of you, freedom from sin. Jesus Christ is offering us freedom. Now, you can be like Manasseh. You can keep fighting them. You can keep going back into the, into the spoils of sin, thinking that somehow you're going to get some kind of joy out of that. It's a lie. You can live under the condemning words of other people that have said, you're not worth it, you're not, you, you know, your life is never going to go anywhere. You, you, um, uh, you're never going to amount to anything. Or you can live free today. You need freedom? I do too. Stand with me as we pray. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, that you are in this place. I thank you, Lord, for your word that's true. And that, Lord, um, your, your, your law is a law that has led us to our great need of you. But, Father, we have, um, we have continued to try to depend on ourselves, to depend on our own intellect, to depend on our own logic, to depend on, on, um, on, on our own self instead of depending on your Holy Spirit. Lord, um, today... I pray that we have experienced the freedom of your spirit, uh, the, the fact that there is no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. And that, Father, today someone may have been set free from the condemnation of their sin or free from the condemnation of what other people have thought of them or the freedom of condemnation from, um, from their own hearts as they looked at themselves and said, I'm worthless, Lord, that is not it is not true. In you, you so loved us and ascribed worth to us, and you showed it on the cross. And so, Father, I pray that today, that that cross will become something brand new to someone, that that cross will become uh, reinvigorated in, uh, in someone's heart who has been sitting as a believer and condemning themselves because they don't believe that you can overcome their past. And Lord, that that cross will become a central focus for us as we walk forward, knowing what you've done for us and arisen from the grave, that we can live a brand new life. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit has complete control over our lives and over this place. That, Father, there are those who came in this morning, maybe with one thought in their mind, and, Lord, that you have changed it and that they have been, um, that their hearts have been moved to see you for who you are. Father, there's someone in this room that's been in prison for a long time 
and it has set their life on a course of condemnation. I pray that you'll set them free. I pray that you will, you will bless um, the person who's been in church all their life and yet, Lord, have not experienced that freedom of your, the movement of your Holy Spirit and those condemning words still keep in their minds. Father, I pray for, I, I pray for us as a family as we live in a community that, um, uh, where condemnation is a normal life movement. Father, I pray that there'll be freedom, freedom that will explode out of this building into the relationships you allow us to be in. Lord, I pray specifically for the guy that I, 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 I met with this week that you'll bless him and strengthen him and that he may see, even though his body's fallen to pieces, his heart and his soul can be renewed and strengthened every day. I pray for others, Father. You are an amazing God and you can do this. Father, set that freedom, that spirit freedom apart from us. For you said that the Lord is, is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, is freedom. Lord, that's what we desire. In the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.